welcome to Millennial Pagan Podcast, the podcast that's discussing issues and hot topics influencing the pagan world from a millennial perspective. We're your hosts, Autumn Wolf and Jara Stone, and we actually have two guests with us in studio. Two repeating two guests. Two repeating guests. We have Lila and Izzy back with us. Hello. Hello. You'll remember Lila from our long paganism episode way back when, when we were first a baby pod. And you'll remember Izzy from our Celtic Reconstruction episode. So, uh, since we already, you know, kind of got their coming of witch story, I know that the subject that we're going into is a little, uh, little fun, a little intense. It's a little dark. Yeah. So, yeah, just as a warning. But, you know, before we dive in, I kind of want to check in on everybody. So, how are you, Jara? I'm actually doing pretty good. Uh, work has been kicking my butt, but it's one of those... I've been learning a lot recently and actually been getting a little bit more of a uh, task-driven uh, type role. Ooh. So it's uh, definitely stuff has been building up to a good culmination for me. Uh, and honestly, this has been by far the best beginning of fall season that I've had in a few years. Yay. So it's uh, actually coming... Th- things are looking very up for me right now. Yay! And I just joined a band. So, yeah. We are the opening band. We can't <laughs> have lost them forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, doing keyboards. We're actually doing a show on Halloween night. Ooh, nice. So that's literally our second gig together. So I'm happy. So that weekend you're just going to have no sleep. <laughs> no, not at all. Like literally from, I think it's going to be from the 25th to the second or third i'm not gonna sleep at all are you gonna perform in costume actually we are we do uh dress up in costume uh pretty much it's just a i won't call it a costume we have black suits and just masks that we wear um but yeah i play keyboards and i sing so the mouth area is open (laughs) enough for me to do that smart so we're just gonna go around in a circle all right (laughs) so things are pretty good with me um Last time I was here, I was elbow deep in my divorce, which is finally finalized. Congratulations! So, free woman. Um, slowly squirreling away stuff for launching my own social medias, but we can talk about that later. All right, all right. We can pitch the YouTube channel later. Um, and things are going really well with the Grove. My probationary year will actually be up on Samhain. Woo! And, uh... We had a couple of hiccups with scheduling everything, but we, we're we Irish. We made it work. Right. <laughs> it's all good. And uh, we're going to be doing ritual outside this year. So we'll be like, well, not just outside, but outside in a park. So it feels like it's going to be true, Ooh. true out in the wild like it should be. Yay. It'll be a nice change of pace. I don't, <laughs> I've never attended a ritual like that with the Grove. So Right. I wonder if they're going to open circle because I know they don't normally open circle. Yeah, I know Mark is going to participate, and he wanted to streamline ritual, but I don't know if he's going to do the whole circle with the hazelnuts thing again, which is what they did last Samhain. Hmm, interesting. So, so they did kind of have a, a open circle, everyone participate as the mm-hmm. main focus of the ritual. Um, it seemed like he and Jan might be planning something similar. But I don't know. <laughs> they like to plot and then spring it on us. That's one of Mark's big. Sounds like it's one he seems to love. If you've seen his inflatables, 
yeah. <laughs> Made up she means own. Halloween decoration inflatables. <laughs> oh my god. Um, that man. Oh god. Yeah. I, I lust after his inflatable collection. <laughs> I want them all. If they, oh. if they ever go missing, I'm suspect number one. Just saying. It's on record. It is. <laughs> so now I can never do anything stupid. No, we can edit it out. <laughs> no one else will know. So we haven't talked to you in almost over a year and a half. And I'm still a law student. Rest in peace, me. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, it's it's important, though. You're so, gaining awesome knowledge. So when I was first on the podcast, I was um, my first year summer. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in my last year of law school. I'm taking um, the first part of the bar exam, the MPRE. I'm taking that in November. Ooh. So I'm hoping I get a good score on that so I don't have to retake it. Yay. It's it's basically just like how do you not be a bad person the exam. So naturally I know I'm going to fail. No. <laughs> you are what you say. Um so a lot of my life recently has just been like trying to study for that, mm-hmm. trying to apply to jobs, hoping I can actually get a job in an area I want, which from my understand almost never happens. Oh. Um my girlfriend recently moved in with me, so we've had chaos. All of the chaos. We um, Like two months ago, our water heater exploded, and they had to uh-huh. rip out like multiple walls because it was just caked in black fungus. Oh, uh, we right. have a puppy now who is who just yesterday graduated from be- like their puppy classes from PetSmart. No, oh. <laughs> they're a good canine citizen. Yeah, <laughs> she's going to be a service animal, so we kind of have to make sure she can, you know, be trained. Right. It's important. Yeah. Um, just a lot of chaos that I'm not used to because I've been single for like a decade. And it's good like, changes. Not, yeah. A lot of good mm. changes. It's also getting me back into actually doing magical stuff. Um, I know last time I was on, I'm like, I don't really do magic anymore. Now it's like, no. This house needs to be cleansed. <laughs> 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 like, it's okay when it's just me stewing and all this miasma. It's not great when I have someone else in there, too. Aww, <laughs> yay. So that's fun. Making charms, doing stuff like that. It's fun to get back into that. That's Awesome. So if you guys um, have not listened to either one of these lovely ladies' first episode on, go ahead and go back because we're not doing that coming of witch stuff. They've already done it. Um, Welcome back from listening to those two episodes, coming of witch stories. Um, (laughs) I apologize for all of the law. (laughs) Hey, you had law and I had ums a lot and apparently was channeling Lauren Chen's vocal fry. So. I was taking evidence at the time and it oh. just so happened all the witch class ca- cases were evidence based. Oh no. This is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were. a lot of that podcast was me just reading from my outline and evidence. Hey, but they, they were both still fun. That's the, yeah, that's the good really thing. Yeah, they really were. So as you guys heard, they both have very different reconstruction traditions and it being Samhain season we want to talk a little bit about death and dying as a pagan Um, this will be kind of a Halloween series that we're going to go on for the next few years so every Samhain time you're going to get some sort of death and dying episode Um, that's why I warned you it is going to be a little bit dark it's going to be a little bit raw it's going to be a little bit scary sometimes maybe but we're going to talk about what um these two different traditions stories for what happens after you die and how your people would have taken care of your body. So who wants to go first? Do we need to draw straws? Rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. We both did, for those just listening, we both did scissors. 
best two out of I know, which is really kind of appropriate considering Roman, Druid, <laughs> just say. <laughs> okay. I mean, I actually wrote down my introduction, so I could go first if you would like me to, because I can just read. It's great. Go for it, because mine is definitely more... I have an outline. Oh, so, mine develops yeah. into outline eventually, where I just stop typing. Yeah. But I, I did... <laughs> I yeah. wanted a really clear introduction. Oh, yeah, um, no. so I, I, I started with pretty outline, and then I ran out of time, and so then it devolves into my notes. <laughs> yeah, whatever works. Just be prepared for either myself or Jared to interrupt you randomly with weird questions. I'm I expect prepared. it, and I also I expect not to have answers. Welcome to Millennial Pagan Podcast, <laughs> the podcast where random questions happen. I googled how to pronounce names, and I have dates written down. Come at me. Nice. <laughs> That's more homework than I've done in years. <laughs> We will stop interrupting <laughs> yes. Maya and let her get on with her introduction. All right. So the Roman religion is often described as the Greek pantheon, just worship under different names. Um, to some extent, that is an accurate assessment. Um, the mm-hmm. Romans equated many of their gods with their Greek counterparts. They did this a lot. I'm sure we'll talk about this when we get to the Celtic side of things. Um, and educated Romans were often taught myths and stories from Greek sources like Homer and the Hesiod. Um, the Hesiod. Hesiod was an author. Um <laughs> Roman poets like Virgil and Ovid often wrote about the Greek mythology in their famous works rather than in their native Roman myths. And the modern day Roman Reco Society, if you just Google it or whatever, is typically discussed as the Greeks first and then like in parentheses the Roman name. (laughs) And often Greek sources are going to take precedent over the Roman gods just because that's how it's been taught for a very long time in our internet and our books and everything reflects this. Um, further complicating the matter is that the Roman had a, the Romans had a penchant for agnosticism. Um, Regili Romano famously lacks an estophic orthodoxy towards faith, despite requiring very complex sacrifices and um, minutely detailed rituals from its Roman citizens. Modern historians sometimes tend to refer to Romans as atheistic in nature, which is frequently paired with descriptions of how they were like unbridled heathens and the Imperials were all corrupt and stuff like that. Um, ancient sources also, if you look at them, because it seems like, well, let's just look at what the ancients thought about themselves. Unfortunately, the ancient sources also were very undecided on what, on what, whether or not they held authentic belief, religious beliefs, um, when not outright dismissing them as superstition. I found a translation, for example, of um, Cicero's um, Tusculan Disputations that like literally called belief in the afterlife as imbecilic. So. Wow. The sack of Rome in 390 BC destroyed almost all, if not all entirely, of the primary texts explaining the origins of Roman practices and festivals. So a lot of the later Romans were just kind of piecing together explanations from glesswork and linguistics. So when you're reconstructing Regilia Romana, it's kind of about reconstructing the rituals and practices than like trying to figure out what their ideology was. So Hmm. that being said... Um, the Romans did have very distinct beliefs about the afterlife. Um, first, regardless of whether or not they actually believed in the mythology, Roman burial practices reflected belief in the um, the Hellenetic model of the underworld. Um, second, the Romans had this very distinct belief in deification after death, in which femorial spirits called the demanes could influence war, famine, death itself in favor of the living. Um, the Roman um, emperors were also very frequently deified. Um, mm-hmm. But not, not, the demanes were not at that same level, but they were still considered divine. Um, other spirits, known as like the larvae or the lamores, could be vengeful and harm the living instead. 
So there was a very distinct Roman ancestor cult developed specifically to appease and curry favor with the dead, um, encourage pietists from the living community, and reinforce um, civil inheritance laws. Because it's me, and I have to find the legal aspect of all of it. Okay. So now that I've got that through, um, I just want to real quick go over the Hellenetic myth. Um, most listeners, I hope, know this one. No, nope, pretend um, they don't. God damn it. <laughs> Explain to me You get to choose by. which god, because it's the Romans. Well, yeah. Um, well. Notwithstanding um, name changes, the Romans were taught a version of the afterlife, which very much mirrored the Greece version. So when an individual died, um, their soul would first be ferried over to the river Styx by Charon, the ferryman, to the realm of Hades, Pluto, what have you. The ferry passage would take the soul past Cerberus, our favorite 300 doggy, upon which the soul would be judge. Um, the Romans didn't have a really clear idea of whom judged the dead. Um, ancient sorrows typically cites the brothers Minos and Rada Mantheus, Telesmater, or Paterdis and Pasferina, which is, for those of you playing the home game, Persephone and Hades. I would prefer Spot to judge me. <laughs> I know, right? But typically Cerberus, like, he was really, really nice when you were coming into the underworld. He was very, very mean when you're trying to leave the underworld. <laughs> He's the guard dog. You can come in, but you cannot leave. Yes. I have, like, it's a like, polar bear of a dog guard right now, so it's like... It's like my dog. She lays in front of the door, and she looks at you just so sad if you try to leave. Right, Tinkerbell just tries to block you. Yeah, so regardless of which deity judged the recently deceased, the dead were typically divided into three general categories. First, the internet, the innocent and the pious would be sent to Elysium to live out their afterlife in relative bliss. And it was specifically like you join a colony in Elysium and basically just live out the perfect Roman life. So who would be the pious? <laughs> the short version. There is no short version. Okay. Okay. So, well, the pious is generally like the people who upheld their oaths to the gods, the people who were good to their family members, the people who served honorably in the army. Those were typically the people who were considered pious. Okay. Um, the impious would include like criminals, cowards, traitors, um, that much. And the criminals were a second class of dead who would be punished by authorities in Tartarus for their crimes in proportion for their inequalities. So what, it, are, are you going to get into describing these different levels? Or should I shush? Not especially, simply okay. because the Romans were, once again, like, one source in the Punica is like, there are ten different circles of hell. And then some are like, hey, you have Elysian, you have Tartarus. <laughs> so where did Hercules grab Megara from? If we're going to go Disney. He would have grabbed her from the River Styx. Okay. So there's five rivers of the underworld. There's um, Styx, Archeon, Lith, which is the one that you drink to forget your living life. Okay. I think there's Mencephony. And then, like one other one I don't remember the name of. Wow. But the, the, the geography here is not important. Um, okay. Mainly because the Romans like were like... They couldn't decide on it. They couldn't... Like, the idea of... Um, this version of the afterlife was really popular, according to the aristocracy, was really popular upon the plebeians and the vulgar classes. Like, literally, I have it in quotes, vulgar. <laughs> like, how dare those poors believe they're having an afterlife? I know, right? Yeah, no. So, um, punishment in Tartarus was not considered eternal, and uh, some variations of Roman afterlife also considered other possibilities for the pious, like reincarnation. And Jara, you seemed like you had a question. Oh no, I, I was going to say when, when when you said like the the vulgar and and that that I, I had a flashback to uh, a 
old friend of mine who never used to call uh, people just just homeless. It was always the homeless. I, I I don't know why that just popped into my head, but it's just it, it just seems like it, it's kind of like kind of like that. It's it's uh, bastardizing a, a people. And most of the sources we have for the people who did believe in this version is both archaeological. We have a lot of um, remains that have, say, coins with them. Um, one that, We'll get to burial practice in a bit, but one of the burial practices they had is that you would put a coin in the mouth of the person, and then you would cremate them and put the cremates with the coin into a jar, and then you bury the jar. So that's one of the reasons we know. Like, at least people who buried their dead, like, they did the coin thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know from Cicero and Lucan, who just kind of hated this type of framework with the underworld, like with a passion, they thought it was really stupid. We know that they're commenting like, um, well, why do these idiots believe this? And then they give like a really detailed description of what these idiots believed. And it's like, well, that's not the people who believe it's saying it, but we can infer Mm -hmm. like, okay, this was a common practice. Um, There is a third class of the dead um, called Shades who depended on the living for their sustenance. Shades included the people who did not receive proprial funeral rites, um, those awaiting judgments, um, and the souls who led the pious into Elysium after they were judged. Typically, a shade could be seen or spoken to in stories involving a descent into the underworld. Um, see Hercules, see the Aeneid. Um, see, I think the Odyssey also has a... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and they often resembled the individual in their pre-mortem appearance. However, Shays appeared extremely pale or extremely dark. Um, I found one source that was describing an African man, and it was like literally like his skin was darker than it had been in life. I'm like, great, great realm. Great description there. That's a yikes for me. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it could be based on your skin color when you were living. It might not have been. It's kind of hard to tell just from evidence like that. But. Right. Um, furthermore, if you angered the dead, they could appear as extremely monstrous and inhumane. Yeah. Zombie. <laughs> Zombie. <laughs> so my outline is slightly different, but I'll try and match Lila as much as possible. <laughs> I apologize. No, it's okay. So to begin with, I address both the uh, Celtic tribes mm-hmm. and the Vikings, quote unquote. Right. Now, both of these groups are incredibly diverse. When we're talking about the Celtic tribes, we're depending on which era you're talking about, this is a land that goes from sometimes even halfway down the boot of Italy or Italia all the way up to Britain and from modern-day Portugal to going over the Rhine into the tribes of Germany or Germania. Mm -hmm. There's some debate among scholars if they're, like, would the Cherushi, for example, count as a Celtic tribe or if they were just influenced by them because they were so close Mm -hmm. and by some debate she means a lot of debate that people won't stop arguing about (laughs) it gets very heated very passive aggressive it's deliciously petty if you think drag queens are awesome watch some historical (laughs) watch some historians go at it get yourself into a historical history convention like bring you'll be bring bring the popcorn popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) it is it is glorious oh those petty petty bitches I think we forgot to pop popcorn. I know. Um, So there really is no consensus among the Celts um, when you're talking about Vikings or the Vikings. Three main countries make up these 
bands of men. They were bands of men that we now apply this term to the whole of society, but they came from mainly Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, and then proceeded to infiltrate everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> Pretty much. It's like, I, I dare you to find somebody who doesn't. An issue that also comes up with Roman historians mm-hmm. is um, Rome also very mm-hmm. famously was in these exact same areas. Mm-hmm. So you'd have Roman historians talking about the Celts and then Celt mm-hmm. historians talk about the Romans. And then as time goes on, you mm-hmm. have the Holy Roman Empire talking mm-hmm. about Italy, the Vatican. And mm-hmm. then once you get over the Counter-Reformation, you have people trying to be very nationalistic Germans trying to describe Italy. It, it oh, is yes. very, very difficult. <laughs> yeah, trying to read out the cross-contamination of... I was doing my best, like, Rome, get out. <laughs> you have someone else talking about you. I'm not going to talk about you. So actually, I really tried to weed out anything that was like a Roman influence. So actually, I don't talk about despots here because I'm like, no, you're you're gone. I will take this path there. You can have him. <laughs> He's glorious, but I'm like, you have somebody. Somebody else is going to yeah, be in Somebody else has you. you. <laughs> Responsible um, for you. So jumping in. Starting with the Celtic tribes as a whole, generalization, they didn't write down a lot. They believed in the holiness of memorization, so a lot of what we are basing our knowledge upon is the archaeological records, or what outside sources write. So it's a lot of reading between the lines, what did the Romans write down, why did they do it? Caesar wrote it all down because he wanted to think Rome, think he was awesome. I can tell you this right now. Yes. <laughs> it's like Caesar was ultimately, dear diary, I'm really bored. And hey, Rome, I'm really awesome. Please continue to praise me. Hey, Rome, these people are totally not worth conquering. So the fact that I didn't conquer them is not a stain against me. It's a benefit for Rome. But also give me more money because now they're suddenly worth it. <laughs> Well, so before we get to me, I feel it's more important with the Celtic tribes and with the Vikings to break down in terms of burials, what their societal roles were, (laughs) because how you treat your dead first starts with how do you see death? Societal roles for men, they were the primary leaders and warriors of the tribe. You see this with Brennus sacking Rome. and I got 387 BCE. That date is iffy, as all dates kind of are, because he was there for a while. I rounded up. <laughs> uh, thank you. And he also did it twice, is the problem. He attacked Rome multiple times. Sorry. Rome deserved it. <laughs> yeah, Rome, Brennus attacked Rome multiple times, so it's also which date are we talking about Brennus' sack of Rome? He was an overachiever, and he was proud of it. He also sacked Delphi. Overachiever. So you're uh, you also... <laughs> So overseas, they were the primary warriors and leaders. They were also at home the primary warriors and leaders, like you see with Vercingetorix in Gaul, Battle of Elysia in 52 BCE against Caesar, managing to, as a petty king, to gather up all the tribes to try and fight a common enemy. Didn't necessarily do it well because they're very, very tribal. I'll discuss the tribal breakdown of the Celtic tribes in a minute. But that was primarily the role of men. Um, each petty king, like Vercingetorix or Brunus, controlled a territory as large as he could militarily or politically control. Basically had to always maintain a vote of confidence mm-hmm. among these people. 
each tribe, or excuse me, he ruled from a terra, which was a fortified enclosure. So that was basically his castle. Um, these would often be the only fortified enclosures you would see, and they were pretty rare. In the territory that he could control, there would be twaffs or tribes, several of them. Again, it was whoever he could convince to be loyal to him for an extended period of time. In each of these tribes, they were made up of clans, which were five or more families that could trace back to a common ancestor, more often than not male. So, king, tribe, clans, the breakdown. Society for the Celtic tribes actually looked really similar to the medieval society. There was a lot of diversification in terms of the roles they would play, you know, craftsman, warrior, farmer, etc. Um, military service would be owed to your king. Anyone who owned land owed military service to the king. Both men and women could own land, and a woman did owe military service. If she felt she couldn't serve it herself, she had to send a representative. Hmm. They also participated in clientage and fosterage between the clans and tribes to foster goodwill. It was... Oftentimes, your foster parents would be considered closer than your actual parents mm -hmm. because, in a sense, they chose you. I like and that one. It's <laughs> well-behaved. Like, exactly. It's, you're the favorite one. I picked you out. And your rights were based on your status in society, not your gender. They primarily participated in cattle raids, um, especially in Ireland is when we see this. Uh, these were for political and economic advancements, uh, sometimes for personal reasons like the Twainbow Coulee, or sometimes just for entertainment. They often just did it because they were bored. That's just my average Tuesday. Yeah. Like, yeah. Go out, do a cattle raid. They hadn't invented, invented true football yet. You can't blame them. <laughs> well, they're halfway there. I know. <laughs> they have all the stuff they need to make it. They just need to get there. Um, so there's the breakdown. It's Europe. We call it soccer. It is true football, and I refuse to recognize soccer because I refuse to recognize American football. <laughs> uh, the women, uh, yes, they could be druids, chiefs, and warriors as well. Um, in the Twainbow Coulee, Mev does point out, though, as a queen, she's rather unique. So how common was it? We can't really say. But it was possible. Even the Burhan laws recognized that it was possible. If a woman was a warrior or a druid, she tended to lean more towards the magical arts like prophecy, or she was a teacher. You see this with the figure of Skahak, who was the teacher of Kukuhun. Did I get right this time? <laughs> or was I closer than last time? I don't know. Yeah. So they would be responsible for... Female warriors would teach all the warriors, so both men and women. Mm-hmm. That was one of their primary duties because they were considered more, in not more intelligent, but they always seemed to kind of take more managerial positions. So it was like they were considered more analytical and they could teach you because they understood your weaknesses. Also, this might have something to do with women being considered more in touch with the mystical, magical side of things. Hence why female druidesses seem to be more in charge. When they, when female druidesses pop up, they seem to be the ones prophesizing or making these really weird predictions like to the Roman emperors. 
the one with the his name means boar. She goes up to him in a pub and basically he's like when he's a common foot soldier and is like, You're gonna be the emperor someday, don't be a dick. He's like, What are you talking about? And he becomes emperor. There was one and I don't remember what it was, but it's like You'll become emperor when you kill an ass or something. Yes, and that she, one. And the future emperor killed the guy whose name was Ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a couple. Of, yeah, it was great. Moving on to the Viking world a little bit later, they participate. It was mainly the young men participating in raiding. Mm-hmm. They did it for a variety of reasons. Did they run out of space? Did Were they bored? Did they not have enough food? Were there not enough women? And so they needed to go elsewhere and convince women by any means necessary to come back and be their wives. Who knows? These are all reasons given for why did the raiding start. Raids mainly took place in the summertime. There is some evidence that what first triggered the lead up to the raids was climate changes because of a volcanic eruption in 536 CE and then comets hitting the ground over Earth, obviously, in 750 CE, one of which being the ones they saw at Lindisfarne, which, you know, started that mystical story about doom is coming, the dragon's in the sky, and then Vikings show up. Hmm. So, there we go. Men were also responsible for everything outside of the home in the Viking countries. They were the ones responsible for attending legal and judicial meetings and representing the family in all matters. In urban areas, they were often craftsmen. In rural communities, they were considered the backup help. And they didn't do much. <laughs> it, it's true. They were basically of backup dancers to the women. Because in Viking society, women ran the show. But they didn't get any of the glory, really. It's kind of sad. They, they could help with the husband's trade if they were in urban centers. We now have more evidence that they did participate as warriors and leaders... They were definitely settlers, as you can see in the Icelandic sagas. But again, how common was it? We don't know. You know, mm-hmm. like those great figures like Lakatha or like Boudicca in Ireland, they, they may have been just kind of extraordinary times called for extraordinary people. Mm-hmm. But they did exist, so we know that. It's kind of like the inverse problem of Rome. Like, we know mm-hmm. everything Rome did, we just don't know what they believed. It's like... Yes, we know. Stop writing down the fact that you sent your husband underwear. We get it. You love him. (laughs) Or the guys who were in Britain Mm -hmm. and they kept asking for shoes Mm -hmm. because it was so cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interestingly enough, there is evidence that in Viking society, unlike for men, age actually brought respect for women. So older women were actually valued, whereas older men were considered a burden. Damn. Um, we're not gonna well, shove wi- old women off yeah. of cliffs just men yeah. <laughs> there's no evidence that they actually did that but uh, I know. yeah there actually is what a fantasy i know <laughs> um however women were more likely to die of disease because they were the primary doctors and carers of the sick at home and there was some equality for women but again it depended on your societal rank and it was more set in stone than it was in the celtic tribes there seemed to be more social mobility among Celtic tribes, whereas Vikings were much more like, uh, no, where you're born is where you stay. Accept it. So, moving on to the deities, now that we have their little worlds set up, for the Celts, war and death were intertwined. There's no real set death deity. Um, It also depended on your region or your tribe, who you worshipped. I've 
I managed to find a long list of both male and female deities. To narrow it down, the two that seem closest to true death deities are Dawn, who is associated with Dispatir. Supposedly, all men are descended from him. That's an interesting legend. Hmm. So, in the Celtic world, we are descended from the god of death. Um, there's also evidence of Sucellus possibly being a god of death as well. He's a war god who carried a hammer, so some evidence like Thor, and he may have blessed things with his hammer, similar to Thor. But he's accompanied by a raven, a carrion bird that you'll see with some of the female death deities. He also had a three-headed dog. So he may have been a god of death as well. Did he name his spot? I don't know. They didn't mention the dog's name, just that he Aww. had one. And I was oh. like, more details. Oh, that's right. We didn't write shit down. Go the good or omens version, just name him dog. Yeah. On the female side, a lot, there was actually a lot of war goddesses. They're more common than the male, which is interesting. The biggest one being the Morrigan and her 10 billion sister goddesses or other forms. She's kind of amazing, but she is commonly recognized as both war and death. So they were mm-hmm. intimately intertwined. There was no delineation. You were both. Uh, she's also associated with the ravens and such. Now, their views of the underworld Again, all of our evidence that we have comes from burials, such as Vix, which was a high-class female, um, cemeteries like Hochdorf, and then the great um, archaeological digs like Hallstatt. Caves and pits were seen as portals to the underworld. And if you're trying to recreate what it looked like, you have to go to the... How modern-day Ireland views like the fae or the fairy world mm-hmm. also banshees you can see how they viewed death in the underworld through them so it was a land of abundance but you could also piss them off so you didn't quite want to go there and mess with them but it wasn't a bad place to go there seemed to be a belief of a constant cycle of reincarnation and rebirth so they didn't fear death mm-hmm. there was a belief that your head was the seed of your soul And so they had an obsession with heads. And also the concept that debts in this life carried on to the next world. So you never fully got rid of your karmic or monetary debts. And it could be monetary debts. Like you could be born and a druid standing over you going, in this lifetime you were this person and you owe this person this. Fun times. No, I don't want to keep owing my FASTA. (laughs) (laughs) However, you could also carry on traits like positive traits and skills from one life to the other so that was fun too um moving back to the viking world there are four main deities of death also tied to war in a lot of cases odin freya hell and ran weirdly enough deity of the sea and there's a reason for that each one had their own realm where certain categories of the dead would go so odin would take warriors and kings who died not necessarily in battle it seems for the kings they probably would be dying in battle because they're leading the they were expected to lead the charge Mm -hmm. in modern day paganism they seem to be trying to stretch the definition of who is a warrior (laughs) and i'm strangely okay with that um freya especially as her role as leader of the valkyries also took a portion of the dead to folkvang 
her hall. It seemed to be warriors and their partners, so they could stay together in death. This might tie into the fact that she's constantly chasing after her husband, who was never there. (laughs) Stop going to different worlds and learning things and sit down and talk to me. No, it's like, come back, you bastard. See, look at all these couples I have. It works. It can happen. (laughs) All we have to do is actually spend time together and talk. It's like, the the other men come home after the summertime. You can too. I'm going to go have some mead with the boys. I'll be back in three months. (laughs) Stop. Uh, Those who died at sea got to go to Ran because they were buried at sea. So, hence, Ran is now the deity of the dead. And for everybody else, they go to Helheim. Hell gets them. Now, if you believe Snorri Sturluson, anyone who died of old age, disease, or was evil goes there. Mm -hmm. But he's kind of a tainted source. There seemed to be in the general public, just a belief that because hell was underneath us, and because the primary way of burying the dead was to actually bury them, mm-hmm. that you just went straight to hell's realm, where you were buried underground. Families often stayed together in hell, and it wasn't a bad place. You just kind of continued on as you were. But it wasn't necessarily that bad. It was just kind of boring. Yeah. And, you know, your new queen is kind of half dead mm-hmm. and yeah. decaying. Yeah. And uh, I can go more into how they viewed the underworld at, with the burial rites, because that's when we really get hard evidence. But that's kind of the overview of how did they see death and how do they see their deities in their underworlds. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back after these messages from us. <laughs> Millennial Pagan Podcast is exclusively supported by Patreon. Listeners like you can gain great benefits from your favorite show, such as... At $1 a month, you get a personalized shout-out at the end of the next full-length episode. At $5 a month, you receive a thank you card in the mail with Millennial Pagan Podcast button and sticker enclosed. Additionally, $5 a month supporters have access to our monthly 30-minute minisodes. Patreon supporters are also the first to learn about new and exciting updates to Millennial Pagan Podcast. More benefits and exclusive content to come. All right, and we are back from that awesome break where uh, we talked to you about a couple different things. Yeah, <laughs> you learned stuff. Yes. Uh, so I know we were talking a little bit about the, um, we, we kind of went into Celtic and Nordic uh, death deities, um, kind of wondering a little bit more about the, the Roman uh, deities as well. There are a lot of the same deity with a lot of different names. So, <laughs> all right. So because of the Romans' tendency to equate deities across cultures, the Romans had many names for their underworld deities. Mm-hmm. Um, they were also had a tendency that if they were in a different area, they would practice as those people would practice. So we have records of the Romans doing Celtic worship. Um, Emperor Tiberius found it extremely noteworthy that uh, his son Germanicus did not sacrifice at the temple in Judea, because apparently that's just something Romans were expected to do, which is weird because that's monotheism. But so there's a lot of just going to places and being like, this seems right. I'm going to do it. Enjoy yourself. It's like, you know, the old saying, when in Rome. Yeah, and that's part of the reason um, when Christians weren't sacrificing. It's like, because you are here, you're part of our society, we expect this, Mm -hmm. and you're not doing it. So, let's just go, God of Death himself, the big guy, the one that usually gets depicted as the devil in kids' movies, and it makes me sad. 
<laughs> so blue hair and all. So for him, uh, there's a lot of different terms for him. There's the Stygian Jupiter, there's Pluto, Orcus, and Dispather. So of his names and titles, a Stygian Jupiter is probably the most straightforward one to the Greek counterpart, Hades. Um, for those of you who know, don't know Hades, he was the brother of Zeus and Poseidon. And when they were all drawing straws, he got stuck with the underworld. Some sources say the other two cheated. I believe it. Yeah. You know, like, yes. <laughs> he's done Absolutely. his job the best, though. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have zombies, thanks to him. Yeah. And that's essentially why you'd get Stygian Jupiter or Stygian Jove, because that Stygian just means of the sticks. As you might remember from earlier in the podcast, the river Styx is one of the rivers in the underworld. So pretty straightforward. Jupiter of the sticks. Um, traditionally, Hades slash Jupiter, Stygian Jupiter, rules with his underworld wife Persephone, goddess of spring in the Greek version. We'll come back to Persephone. Um, <laughs> but today we mostly know the Roman world god of the underworld as Pluto, which is not what the Romans knew him as, which is very confusing. Um, the name Pluto comes from the Latinized Greek word Pluton, which means wealth. As the name suggests, Pluto ruled not only over the dead, but all the nice riches that were underneath in the underworld. So much like the Celts, it's like, if it's an entrance to the underground, it's where the dead are. So there's some more synchronization in that element, too. Um, there's another one by the name of Orcus, who was the Etruscan god of the dead, um, in sources that mention him specifically, he's the more frightening and dangerous. Um, if you break an oath, like, he is the one who will hunt you down with his giant hammer. More hammers! <laughs> Yay! Exactly! <laughs> so many hammers. <laughs> um, eventually, he was conflated with the Roman Dispater, who was often referred to as simply Dis, who was, like, the kinder and protective uh, figure in Rome pantheon. Dispater basically translates to the wealthy father or the faraway father. So kind of like Father Earth. Um, he's like, he's your dad. Who takes care of you when you're in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it is important to remember that the Romans, Dispater, was Orcus. Orcus was Pluto. Pluto was Strygian Jupiter. Strygian Jupiter was Hades. Trying to dissect where one of these deities begins and the other ends is incredibly difficult. If not pointless. And the Romans didn't seem particularly concerned of separating them. It's just like... Which word seems the most dramatic to use in this poem? We'll use that one. So in the Aeneid, you have Pluto. Um, in other versions, you have Orcus. Um, ultimately, what you need to know is the Lord of the Underworld was kind of this all-powerful, terrifying, merciless, but also kind of capable of making sure that his worshippers were, like, taken care of well in the afterlife. And, like, they would... Um, the secular games, which would happen every 100 years, were to... Uh, Dis and Prosperina, which is Roman Persephone, and that was specifically to get rid of disease. <laughs> so you, you typically prayed to him to get rid of something that would kill you, and if he liked you enough, he'd give it to you. Or if you wanted to get filthy fucking rich. <laughs> so. so it kind of sounds like they just made Pluto into, like, this is our ideal version of the Caesar. He's our glorified, like, this is what our glorified version of the leader is. Everything we want. To well, there's leader. a reason he's the Stygian Jupiter, because Jupiter is kind of all that, but just, you know, oh. up, up, it's <laughs> up and away. It's like, you want to be a good Caesar? Be halfway between these two <laughs> on Earth, yeah. like in the mortal realm. Oh. And that brings us to 
to uh, Proserpina, aka Persephone, the wife of Hades. In the traditional myth, uh, Persephone, and I'm just going to use the Greek words here because they're easier to say. Yeah. Um, Persephone picking some flowers. Hades went, hot damn. <laughs> Me want some. <laughs> um, yeah. Asked uh, Persephone's father, Zeus, for permission to marry her. Um, he took her away in the marriage procession. Demeter was not aw- Demeter was not aware of this. <laughs> so she threw a little hissy fit and refused to let the harvest happen. Um, and I, I'm not going to go on my tangent about Demeter and when Persephone was supposed to be above and above ground because everyone gets it backwards and it makes me sad. Um, I won't do that. Okay. I will just note that it's a thing that annoys mm-hmm. me, but... All you need to know about that is that eventually Demeter bullies people into letting her have her daughter come back. Unfortunately, a pomegranate happened. So Persephone is only here for half the year. And that's why we have the seasons. Yay. A pomegranate happened. (laughs) And apparently Zeus never learned. It's like, you need to actually talk to the women you fuck around with. If you're going to reproduce with them, if you're going to, like, fall in love with them. You have to play nice with them or they will make your life hell. (laughs) BT Dub, my wife likes to turn humans into, you know, food. Um, By the way, I like to sell off your offspring, you know, to my brothers. Also her brother. They're all related. One, stop fucking your sisters. Two, stop pissing off your sisters. (laughs) Three, stop being an asshole to women in general. Your life will be easier. So tangential, <laughs> totally tangential is com- conversation about like incest and marriage and whatnot. But um, the Greeks didn't really take the whole, all the gods are related to each other. So literally, the Romans very much did. <laughs> and it endlessly amuses me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they actually- the Greeks wrote it down. It has to be true. Like, no. It's true. No, it's it's just using it to illustrate a point. <laughs> They're yeah, sorry. So okay. Persephone is now pomegranate yes. happens. Yeah. And um, she was often worshipped with her husband. Um, she was also worshipped for fertility and agricultural reasons. A lot of we know about her and um, Sarah's. I don't think I pronounced that correctly. I should, but I didn't. We I forgive us- you. I usually say Demeter, but... Um, uh, they were mostly worshipped sort of in agricultural cycles. Like when the harvest came, you'd have um, these festivals. But largely, if you were going to pray about dead people, you weren't going to pray to um, these Pather or to Prosperina. Which brings us to Mommy Dearest series. Um, so some versions of that myth, it is not Persephone. That Hades marries. It is, in fact, um, Ceres marries Orcus. She is the one who marries the god of the underworld, who spends half her time down there. Um, There was a festival called the Marriage of Orcus. That was a thing. And it seems like the Romans um, still believed in this connection with the underworld of Ceres. And I know I'm pronouncing that rightly. Like, there's probably going to be some historian slash myth nut listening to this going, oh my god. (laughs) But it's okay. It's forgiven. Yeah. And um, part of it is because Ceres is basically um, an earth deity. And earth, as we've established with these Pather, is where all the dead people go. So um, she's one of the deities that you would, for example, um, three times a year, this thing's called the Mundus Pits would be open. And there were these huge pits that were originally used for grain storage. But when you open them uh, in later Rome, it was believed all the dead would wash out, or like just rush out of them. 
So you would open them three times a year. You would get your blessing from Sarah's like, please don't let the dead fuck up our artists, our harvest. We've appeased you dead people. Please, please, please don't, don't make us hungry. <laughs> yeah. He likes food. We, we enjoy the food. So it was just like a, like a, like a random zombie apocalypse that would happen. Three times a year. Three times a year. Three times a year. Oh, it's more than three times a year. Ooh. It's more like three times a year and also a week during Parentalia. Oh. <laughs> I'll get to the, the festivals of the dead when we get to the burial practices. Um, but while um, while Prosperina was the queen of the underworld, like a lot of scholars like Stadius would just be like, um, there would be deep seres, uh, profunda seres. So it's very likely that the um, Romans like kind of believed Ceres had more to do with the, what happened to you when you die than actual Persephone. I mean, Prosperina. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? We have, um, as I mentioned, the two brothers that judge you. I didn't do a whole lot of research into them. Just one of them greets you when you're newly dead. One of them greets you when you're about to get judged. It's, they're, they're walking they're, you through. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're just like, okay... Form a line. It's like it's like a DMV for the dead. <laughs> right, you As, go ahead and take a ticket. Especially you, as described in the Punica, where it's like you have ten doors you can go into, and it's like, all right, dead screaming babies that way. Really pious people who want to be reincarnated that way. Like, yeah. Are you confused? Lost? Read the sign. Don't know how to read shit. And <laughs> Christians in front of the guillotine. <laughs> Oh no. oh no! They weren't there yet. <laughs> According to some sources, uh, Nero is probably still burning down there. So, Ooh. so yeah, Nero Nero is not liked. Um, there were a few other frameworks I do want to mention about the afterlife because I mentioned like we've been going over the Greco-Roman version. There's a few others. Um, Epicureanism believe there was no soul. You died and that was it. Nothing happened to you afterward. It's just a body that is now here and rotting. Let's get rid of it. Um, You had the Stoics, which uh, the author Cicero really supported, who were like, the soul is eternal. Um, And you can really dive into Stoicism in a way that I did not for the research on this podcast, because (laughs) I'm trying desperately to get through the worst translation of the meditations possible. It's it's horrible. (laughs) But it has the original Greek, like, with my translations. It's like, I could translate this myself someday. Um, But Stoics kind of had this weird, like, the soul is eternal, but we don't really believe in, like, punishment in the afterlife. And then Cicero is just like, I'm going to tell you what I want you to believe and just combine all these, like, five different things and just glue them together so that historians for centuries afterward think this is what we believed when it it wasn't. People over-rely on Cicero. And then you also have the Peregrians who kind of believe that the dead hung out in the sky next to the moon when you died like you didn't go underground you just kind of floated upward cicero specifically believed that how good of a person you were was how high in the air you would go so like the really bad souls would kind of hang out with us but the really really good people would just like struck it up there so enjoy that visual which, 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 which explains you know hauntings and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah i keep getting stepped on down here <laughs> I really should have been nicer to that person. How the hell did I go down a foot? <laughs> you complained more. Why am I stuck in the ground? And unlike the Greeks, as I think I might have mentioned earlier, Romans weren't really into reincarnation. Some were, but most weren't. So when you have the more Plato-inspired uh, stuff, like the stuff Cicero wrote, like they just kind of like 
casually just, you know, control f backspaced incarnation. So. Okay. We're going to pretend that this was here the whole time. And <laughs> then we have, if I can find it in my research, we have the Demonis, who are, um, they're basically the familial dead. Um, it was believed that when you would die, you became a divinity. Not necessarily a god on the same r- rank as, like, you know, the Olympians, but you became a divinity. So when it came to the Manes, as far, like, the only real criteria of worship um, for them was you were a member of the family of the deceased. Um, the Manes typically had mortal human characteristics, like, they were believed to be, like, you know, a shade, essentially. Um... They were given offerings. I will get into that when we get into the more funeral and holiday related stuff. Um, But they're not what we would consider ghosts because ghosts kind of just seem like something that stick around that aren't really divine. Like they might screw your day up if they're a poltergeist. By and large, the Imanis were not. Um, You also have the emperors who actually did become gods on the level of the Olympians. So that's another level of what happens to you when you die. But generally speaking, um, it was believed that once the funeral had commenced, um, you were just kind of hanging out either in the underworld or in your tomb, or if you're one of those people that believe you're hanging out on the moon, um, (laughs) that your family would be able to contact you and you could kind of influence what happens to you. So um, there's some writings about Priscilla, the wife of some poet, um, where what she did in the afterworld was... Um, petition the fates, like, hey, let my husband live a long and happy life. So it was believed, like, on the behalf of the living, the dead could be like, hey, maybe cut that cord later, or cut that cord a little sooner, if you've been bad to the dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'm sorry, I just feel like when we're talking about the people who believed you just hung out on the moon, that they're the Scientologists of their time. (laughs) (laughs) Prove that we haven't changed all that much in several thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> but there was also, like, a reciprocal relationship. Like, you had, and this is where uh, Pietus comes in, which you were asking about earlier, and I'm like, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, it was believed that for in order for the Manes to be happy with you and your family, you had to show them piety. So you had to make sure that you gave, you know, um, offerings at their tomb at the times of year you were supposed to. You're supposed to, you know, serve your country. You're supposed to do stuff like that. And if you were impious, then the dead would be mad at you and not help you. Um, Interestingly enough, um, women and children were given a lot more power in the afterlife than they had in Rome because Rome was kind of famously very patriarchal. But the wife gets to decide when you die if she goes first. (laughs) You know, if you have a small child, even an illegitimate child, like, you better take care of that kid because that kid is going to influence, like, how well you are off. These are people that are in the land of the riches, you know, so. Um, Good to know if I'm ever murdered by a spouse. <laughs> I'm suddenly rethinking my future divorce plans for round number two of we go out gladiatorial style and only one of us leaves the ring. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not going through a second divorce. <laughs> I don't blame you. And the monies weren't just prayed to for um, personal gain. For example, the Roman armies could call upon the manes to, you know, give me victory in combat. I dedicate all the dead of the opposite army to you. <laughs> um, there's at least two cases where the general is like, all the enemy dead and also myself. 
Ooh. Ooh. Ballsy. So, little, hu- hu- little human sacrifice there. I expect um, to not live through this at this point. <laughs> and that was, for the record, they were fighting Carthage because Carthage must be destroyed. Um, yep, definitely a brown pants moment. <laughs> and there was, um, there was two ways you could do this. You could just be like, all right, I'm giving you the sacrifice. You better do the thing. <laughs> or there was, I'm going to give you the sacrifice and I hope you do the thing. <laughs> so... Wait, Rome knows how to ask nicely. <laughs> so yes, they were nice to their dead. Yeah, not okay. much, not much to the living. Yeah. But um, hence why they kept pissing off "quote unquote" barbarians. It's like <laughs> you, you know, if you stop, stop taking the lesson from Zeus, stop shooting yourself in the foot. Life will go nicer to you if you stop breaking promises. <laughs> well, that's where Orcus comes in. He hunts you down with a hammer if you break a promise. Yeah, but did he do it if he broke promises to, for example, the Iceni? Apparently not. True. <laughs> we saw how that went. <laughs> well, I mean, in that case, it would have been like Orcus was clearly liking the Romans more than the Iceni, or he would have done the thing. Yeah, it's the Iceni just weren't pious enough. That's what the Damn. Romans would, would yeah, justify it's like, themselves. It's like, yeah, it's like, are we going up against Andrast or Orcus? <laughs> or in Armenia's case, I guess, for a while, his god won. So moving on to funeral practices. Um, the funeral allowed the living to demonstrate their piety towards the dead. Um, so that was one of the big ways you're like, I am really pious. You should have really, really liked me now that you're in the afterlife. Look at this wonderful funeral I'm throwing you. <laughs> or you can do the Cicero thing of like, spend your entire life fighting for a monument for your daughter. <laughs> that just never happens because everyone in the room hates you. Aww. <laughs> Poor Cicero. Um, and part of that is because this is the first time this person is being worshipped as a god. It kind of sets the bar of what they should expect. <laughs> So if you, like, just go out of the gate running, like, here we go. Awesome funeral. Yeah. Um, So the Romans, depending on where in the timeline you are, because this is an empire that's spanned, like, a thousand years, um, sometimes um, just burying in the ground was considered the the pious thing to do. Sometimes lighting the body on fire, having some wonderful cremation feasts afterwards. That was also considered the proper thing. It really depends on what source you're reading and when. It doesn't really matter. Um, I've saw one historian that's like, we think like just some rich guy decided to change the status quo and then everyone copied him. So it's like wedding, they, white wedding dresses. Yeah, they really mm-hmm. did like their fashions. Yeah. So during the funeral, um, the person was considered into an unstable liminal state. So essentially, they were they were dead. They were definitely dead, but they hadn't quite gotten to the afterlife yet whatever version you believed in, moon, underground, other. So the funeral tended to be a seven to nine day event. Um, The first day, body gets taken care of. Just Um, to make sure you know they are definitely dead. Yes. Um, Then there would be, um, there was at least one person or one source that says that you would remove a bone at that time. It's for purification reasons, but you remove a bone. We don't know which bone, just a bone. Could be a femur. I mean, they would have the body on display for roughly five days, um, which I can't even imagine the smell. Yeah, you might want to remove something a bit more discreet and easier to get to, like a rib. Yeah. Or maybe a finger. Oh, that would be a limb, though. The whole thing. It's also multiple bones. You could do, like, the fingertip. You could just cut over and, like, take out a rib. Yeah. You know. Something that's like you don't have to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And essentially the period of moaning would last, at least according to Varro, until the bone was reunited with the body at the tomb. 
So it was just kind of a marker. Like, okay, we took the bone on this day. How many days? I don't know if they made marks on the bones or whatever, but <laughs> like we just, we have Varro and like one other source. So it's like, this was a thing that happened, but it's so commonplace. We don't need to describe it. Hmm. Cicero does that a lot too. Where it's like, here are the things you do for a funeral, but I don't need to describe this. Like, no, Cicero, describe it. Bullet please. points, but not actual <laughs> explanation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So basically what happened, the body would be taken with a procession, um, where it would be taken to either be cremated or buried. Um, some sources say that they would be cremated at the tomb. We believe that would be what the really rich people did. Most people would just go to a base, what we would call today a crematorium, because it turns out Rome burns a lot. So <laughs> minimizing the locations where fire happens. <laughs> it's a good thing. There was also, for the people who could not afford any of this, um, or people that were like unclaimed bodies, they would get buried by night, by... Um, the Vespalones. Basically, they would bury the dead at night, and we assume it's because, like, the rich people didn't like seeing dead bodies of the poors. <laughs> Frickin' patricians. Um, after the wake and the procession, there would be a pig sacrifice. Um, it was actually sacrificed to the person being buried, because this is their first offering as a new deity. Bring out the pig! <laughs> Big out the porcus! <laughs> um, some rituals would also... us. Uh, give a pig also to Sarah's because connection to the underworld. Um, this is often done if it's like right before harvest season and you really, really don't want the harvest to get fucked up. Yep. So let's just like throw one out Sarah's anyways. Um, people who died at sea, you would also, because you didn't have the body, you would sacrifice Sarah's as well. Um, Bring out the second pig. <laughs> yes. So eventually, the, where the funeral ended up, the procession ended up, sacrifices ended up, you would be at the grave, and in this ritual, the grave would be transferred from basically a spot of land to a sacred space. And it would typically end with a clod of dirt being dropped on the corpse, or on the bowl, or vase, or whatever the ashes happen to be in. And at that point, that person has officially become part of the demones, they are deity, they are no longer in the liminal space, they are just hanging out. Hopefully you gave a really good sacrifice. If not, I'm not even sorry, you're Romans. Um, (laughs) We couldn't afford a pig, so we got a chicken. (laughs) Hope you forgive us. Found a rat. (laughs) A lot of what we know what happened at the funeral is from actually what happened on tombstones. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a tombstone where a wife is seen as being led down to Dees by the funeral smoke. One of the reasons um, complete cremation was really, really popular was because unlike, say, the Egyptians, it was not believed your body was important in the afterlife. Like, you needed the coin, so that needed to go with you, or you were going to spend, like, a hundred years pissed off in the long line of Disneyland, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Can I pay for my fast pass, please? That's essentially, that's essentially what the coin for Sharon was. Mm-hmm. But by and large, like, you didn't need your body, so let's just get rid of it. We live in a big urbanized city. Um, These tend we- to smell. There's a lot of um, antidotes from people and poets who would like, oh, I caught someone desecrating my grandfather's grave because I'm the only person that remembers where that grave is. And these people didn't know any better. So I, I, I personally think, not a scholar, but I personally think part of the rise of cremation is just because it's easier to just like fit pots in a person sized space. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can fit like 20 people in one 
coffin. And you would see this advanced, especially in the medieval and modern era, where you would have churches that would, like, have their graveyard, and then, like, after the person had been buried for five or ten years, you know, you just go throw that in a crypt. Or so. dig up their bones and use them for decorations. That's one of the reasons we only have Mozart's skull, is because the guy who moved Mozart's body kept the skull. We His bones are somewhere... Scattered. Scattered, basically. Um, after the funeral, there would be this silly cernium. Um, it was the name of a type of blood sausage, for all you English folks out there. And it was consumed as, like, a purifying thing. Um, eventually, as Rome did not know how to manage its money whatsoever, it'd be really common for the um, upper-class patrician imperial funerals to be followed after by gladiatorial games. In fact, there is one story where the body would not be released back to the family burying it until the games had been confirmed. So... We're not giving you your body back until we know there's going to be games, man. We need some games. They took their bread and circuses very seriously. Yeah. We're bored as hell. We need some games. <laughs> Think of it this way. It's free food. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For basically the entirety of Rome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> feed us. Feed us. Mm-hmm. So if you're familiar at all of how sacrifices to other deities go, this is very similar to how you would sacrifice to basically a deity. You'd sacrifice your animal. You'd burn incense. Um, incense was commonly considered the popper's sacrifice. And it's like, okay, it smells good, but okay. <laughs> um, libations with wine, that sort of thing. Those were the things you would do for the demonies. You would also do those for the regular gods. Now, I want to come back to this for a moment because if you might remember from Izzy's description of, say, war gods, um, I did not mention any of those specifically because um, the dead were supposed to contaminate basically everything around them. The pontifices and the priests of other um, deities were like not allowed to interact with the dead. The, I believe, pontifice of Jupiter like specifically could not eat black beans because those were used in um, Lemuria, which is a ritual I will get to in a bit. But it's like, just because we use this type of food in this ritual, you are banned from it forever. Hmm. So, like, for the war gods, like, Mars, also an agriculture god, also a war god, not considered a death god. Just because he's not physically underground. Um, or which, the ground itself. Or the ground itself. Or, you know, at the moon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love the Pythagoreans. I hate the math that we have to learn in school because of them. <laughs> But I love their beliefs. They make me happy. Like, <laughs> hell yeah, let's hang out on the moon. Math is magical. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have an algorithm on how far you float? They probably did. We all and we just don't have you. the sources anymore. Or maybe that's actually what we were learning and we just didn't know it. <gasps> oh my god. What triangle is length is my soul? <laughs> Am I the long side or the side you have to multiply by two? Good question. <laughs> so after the funeral, the anniversary of the death, like you were expected to go back and do worship. Um, typically, this would be when you pour wine. You don't really pour the wine during the first funeral, but who has the money to sacrifice a pig every time if you're not the Caesars? Mm-hmm. Again, bring the chicken. <laughs> Who even has money for a chicken half the time in Rome? They're very famously hungry a lot. That's half of why they raid everywhere, because they have no money and they have no food. And also their wars start with other countries going, we don't have enough to feed us and you. We know we're supposed to give you this shit, but we we just don't have it, bro. And Rome going, we don't care. 
our Carth- pet- <laughs> Carthage must be destroyed. Yes. <laughs> it's like, Egypt, we don't give a fuck. We have peasants on our doorstep that are about to kill us, so hand it over. <laughs> yeah. Controlling, You control Egypt, you basically control Rome. Which is why mm-hmm. Mark Anthony is like, hey, I'm going to mosey up with the Queen of Egypt. Yeah, <laughs> this you- will go well, even though I am terrible at war. Oh, yeah. Which is where how much wine and bread came out of Germania. Which is like, oh, that's what Arminius was doing. You cunning bastard. <laughs> <laughs> And typically, like, you would pour wine onto the grave. So, very typical libation. Um, we also had another festival called Parentalia, which was in February, which was the month of purification. Um, and in this case, the dead were believed to wander throughout the city for nine days. All the temples were closed. You couldn't do legal stuff. Couldn't really have market. Um, and essentially, during this time, it was you were expected to go. It was a private festival, but you were expected to go to your family's grave sites worship outside so while you're doing this privately with your family every other family in rome is doing it too and conveniently this is when people would get murdered because no one was in rome to witness it and cicero tells us all about it (laughs) um and the last day of the parentalia which is feralia um it was kind of considered a day where you would like just make up with all your living family members because you're supposed to be pious to the living as well as the dead so it's a nice little, like, we've all purified, we're closer now, we haven't killed each other on this week-long Thanksgiving. <laughs> Which, like, to Romans, like, that must have been a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I called you a dick on Monday. <laughs> I won't do it again till next Monday. And that's traditionally why we think the funerals were, like, nine to seven days, is because you'd have basically a week to mourn, and then, you know, day of burial, day of when the body's actually found dead. Um, because we think it, we, some historians, met, some disagree, it's academia, think that makes sense. There was also the Lemuria, which was a festival of in which the evil dead were thought to be hanging out in your house and could actually touch and kill you if you don't appease them. There were three nights non-consecutive, which was May 9th, May 11th, and May 13th. Um, tangent, Romans thought even days were not good days for rituals and festivals. So, for example, Saturnalia is two weeks long, but that's because every other day they they did the festival part. <laughs> Just tangent. Um, and essentially, the leader of the house, typically believed to be like the patriarchal figure, he was supposed to throw beans over his shoulder, say some bad poetry because it's paganism, and be like, I hope they eat these. Just gonna throw them into every corner. Oh, that's where the black beans come from. Yeah, because ah. black was the color of the dead, and black beans are one of the very few um, food items that are naturally black. So... <laughs> Yeah, black was considered color of the dead because underground. Um, if you wanted to worship very specific members of your family, you could. For example, I don't think the Scipio family like ever stopped worshiping Scipio Africanus, aka the one who defeated Hannibal. Because mm-hmm. um, most people like you don't really remember like past your grandparents. I, I would say that's yeah. pretty mm-hmm. standard even today. So like you could pray to these like generations, generations of spirits that were supposed to be helping you out but what if you just really want to have grandma on your home altar and like none of the other guys you could do that we know from the ruins in pompeii that you usually had like three to five statues of family members in your little thing alternatively if you for example really hated your mom you'd be like i'm not putting your statue here mom Mm -hmm. i'll do my requisite ritual and worship but uh no grandma's going here instead (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to stepmom more than you (laughs) (laughs) 
and that was that's essentially a general overview of the festivals and the rituals that you had to do. Um, once again, this was considered a very private thing. There was no like huge public festival of the dead. The Parentalia is what you got closest, and even then, that was a private festival. You know, you, you went to your little plot, you had a picnic. It's was it Labor Day or Memorial Day that you do that traditionally in America? Both are kind of picnicky times because yeah. both are yeah. kind of warm. Yeah. Well, I just know because a lot of my family is from the South. Like you, you picnic out. I guess it's Memorial Day. Yeah. 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 Memorial yeah. Day. You go and you picnic out in the, the family graveyard, which we inexplicably have because it's the South. So, yeah, so you do. some things never go away. And if there's no other questions, I will hand it over to Izzy. I think we're good. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was very informative. It was. I feel really bad because we don't have many written sources of what the burial rites look like. Right. For the Celts. We just have their grave sites. <laughs> so I mentioned a couple of notable sites earlier, um, like Vix. Then we also have sacrificial sites, n- notably uh, Windeby Girl. It, I'm going to butcher this name. It's in North Germany, Schleswig Holstein. She is a bog body, very similar to the infamous Lindo Man. Uh, a similarity that both of these bodies had in common. They were very clean in their own way and they had notable things about them for example the lindo man had very clean nails uh when to be girl her head was shaved in a particular way and they both had things wrapped around their necks hmm. and then they're also both buried in bogs uh celtic tribes did practice human sacrifices this seems to be a mix of revenge like with when when to be girl and a couple of others in the german regions also or Sacrifices to the gods, like with Lindo Man and a couple of others in Great Britain. Sacrifices were given at times of war, but also throughout the year. There's a tradition where your petty king gets killed at Samhain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is especially true if you have a queen, which there is... Give and take, there seemed to be a tradition of the queen being the really important one and your king not because of the goddess traditions being so prevalent, like Danu being the really big one mm-hmm. of the deities in Ireland. Not so much like the Dacta, though he is big, but in terms of like the mother, it's like Danu was like more universally recognized and then Dacta's like slightly below her. Interesting enough. So emphasis on the queen gets to stay and then the king gets cycled out. At Samhain, either ritually killed or actually killed. Now, sacrifices, especially human sacrifice, there's evidence that this was huge value. Like, this was not undertaken lightly and that it had to be done willingly. These were not, they weren't forced into it. There was some modicum of, you have to consent to this. Maybe not so much with the ritual, like more revenge based murders, but there, there really isn't that evid- much evidence of struggle are evidence that they were for like murders and more revenge based come from the oddities in the burial for example they were weighted down but again they weren't tied down they were weighted down so it doesn't seem like they struggled that hard to get away stay there yeah (laughs) it's like they didn't there's not we can't find much evidence of them being incapacitated or drugged i mean granted that's hard hard in a body several centuries later but again it's not like they're tied down and then weighted down like drowned it's they're just weighted down in a bog, so it's like you. It could keeps floop. Yeah, it's like up. we can't find we can't find any wounds on you. You clearly do- died by drowning. 
But you didn't get away. Okay. I'm still it, here. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing um, here? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Um, also, these sacrifices would... Off, speaking of like evidence of what we can find, in their stomachs, for example, like Lindoman had hazelnuts, which is, was a sacred food to the Celts in his stomach. So it's like, we can tell what they ate, you know, the seeds and such. So it's when we can't find any intoxication, it makes you wonder. It's like, so this seems to be kind of a revenge-based murder for some reason, but you also didn't leave, girl. What the hell? And if we can't find a blow to the back of your head that incapacitated you, hmm. Interesting. Um, some evidence that types of murder, or types of, not murders, my apologies, types of sacrifices were geared towards the types of gods you were sacrificing to. So for example, Air gods, you throttle them. Fire gods, you burn them. Rome really fixated on any sacrifices, human sacrifices that were burned, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence that they did this a lot. But this is where Wicker Man mm -hmm. comes from, the horrific movies that I do not like. See um, also Caesar, hey, look at these barbar barbarous people. Like We mm -hmm. should not include them in Rome because um, they yep. suck. Exactly, and, and until we really, really want the calls. They're burning. As opposed people. to us, where we've sacrificed mm -hmm. humans twice. Mm -hmm. uh, so your earth deities, you're going to bury them alive. But again, there's very little evidence that they actually did this. Uh, more often than not, water seemed to be. Some sources say that they would drown them in a cauldron and then deposit the bodies elsewhere. Sometimes they're just killed and then buried in bogs. Uh, waterways were considered very holy. They were passages or areas where the veil between worlds is naturally thinned. So these were holy spaces. Um, other sacrifices to be given were weapons. And that's where you find broken weapons because you have to kill the weapon as well before you give it to the gods. Hence, bent spears, bent swords. So everything had to die to pass over. Hmm. I've killed so many pencils. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but which deity are you sacrificing to? You know what? Screw yeah. it, Odin. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody about education. <laughs> yep. It's like, maybe throw in Minerva there just to be safe. Um, <laughs> the face. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking down. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about her, too. Um, so when it comes to the afterlife, they, they did believe in an afterlife. It was very beautiful. It was basically a happy place free of care, disease, old age, and ugliness, dominated by abundance, magic, music, and birdsong. You would go there and either live for a set amount of time, and then you would be reincarnated and come back. Or sometimes you lived a natural life on the other side, and then when you died there, that's when you came back. But you yo-yoed back and forth between the two worlds in a constant, ever-ending cycle. So they, they didn't fear death. It was just going to be a... I'll come back eventually. Hence their bravery in war. In the late Bronze Age, burials tended to be cremations. Going into the Latin or the late Iron Age, they moved more towards entombment of various kinds. They buried their dead with grave goods, very similar to the Egyptians, supporting the belief in an afterlife where you continue to live. So you had your weapons, your tools... Uh, only the weapons being broken, everything else needed to be whole to be used. Typically, they would be buried, especially if you were of high status, you were buried in a wagon. Because you have to get around somehow <laughs> and carry all your stuff. Uh, you're buried with your toiletries, your jewelry, uh, some evidence of fine clothes, but of course clothing doesn't really survive. Uh, food and dishes. 
uh, we found, oh, what's, I can't remember the site, but like the Gundeshop cauldron, huge cauldron, big enough to serve a massive party. It's basically a giant punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Cauldrons are also used, though, for rebirth. So again, some evidence of maybe the dead. It's like you need to bring your own cauldron to be reborn into the afterlife. And then maybe that is also how you're going to come back. So bring your own cauldron for serving alcohol to your guests on the other side. And also so you can come back in your next life. It's like a, um, the the chicks and the cake. I'm here. Exactly. Somebody get me some ingredients for punch. <laughs> it's like, I'm here, bitches. Who wants no, no, Long Island iced tea? Even though we ingredients have ingredients for sangria. Right. There you yes. go. They probably had that. Sometimes people would be buried separately in these grand tombs. Um, sometimes they're buried together. We have a burial of an old woman and her maid, uh, a woman with two men, um, a man and a woman couple together. So there, there wasn't real much continuity when we can find them. There was wide variety, but the common traits seem to be belief in an afterlife and you need shit on the other side. So we got to give you good stuff. Burial practices really didn't change all that much until Rome. And then, <laughs> and then it became more Romanized. <laughs> Until Rome shoved their Until foot in Rome. it. Until Rome. Insert Star Wars Imperial March here. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, moving on to the Nordic countries, they had similar causes of death as the Celts, so warfare, accidents, illness, childbirth. We have more evidence of what their burial rites would have looked like. Um, women often would have sat with the body and kind of midwifed the soul across as death so there was some evidence of basically a practice of death doulas mm. women also then would have been responsible for once you are dead closing the nostrils mouth and eyes of the dead by wrapping the head in cloth as they wash the body and prepare it for death um, if you die at home you need to carry the body to the burial site using a special route so that if for whatever reason the dead comes back as a ghost it can't come back home it gets confused because the dead will remember the route you took. So you have to try and confuse it. The dead of the Nordic countries could become guardians of the family if they were noble in life. But if they had disgraced themselves in death, they would become ghosts. Uh, a famous example of this was in the sagas Thorlof Clubfoot, who caused a lot of trouble. Uh, the way you get rid of ghosts, you have to decapitate the head and bury the head face down in between the knees or the feet. There was some evidence that the Irish also did this in later times. Yeah. You make sure it's like if the dead comes back, well, first it has to get its head and then it's going to be looking down. So it's going to dig down. Um, in Thorlof's case, apparently he kept coming back as a ghost and causing massive shit. So they ended up having to cremate him and dump his ashes somewhere else. There's some question of where that somewhere else was, but they basically had to cremate him, get rid of him entirely. Well, it should be a question, because if you know where it is, he might come back again <laughs> and cause even more problems. Like, if no that one can it. tell him where he is. It's like, it was the end of the saga. They, I guess they got tired of writing about the dead dude. I, I could just kind of see, like, a bunch of people just, like, passing in the street, passing a briefcase with his ashes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's your You have to take Grandpa. <laughs> D dump some of this somewhere. Dump some of this somewhere. Mm -hmm. You're a traitor. Just go along your route. Yeah. Um, what... So whether they buried you or burned you tend to depend on where you were. Um, Denmark and Russia seem to like burning. Um, the other countries seem to like intimation. Uh, 
evidence of how the cremations went is it gets a little sketchy, especially when you're trusting Arabic travelers. They really like the idea of murdering lots of people in burning alive with a dead guy. There's only one source that says that. There is some evidence of the dead man being buried with other people. Now, whether these were slaves or other family members, whether they died at the same time, were killed to join him, or like say a husband dies first and then later his wife dies and she's buried with him, we don't know. Uh, there is, I believe it is in York, which is a former Viking town in Britain, there was a burial that was being investigated of a woman was buried and above her was a man. And they were trying to figure out what was weird with the woman. It turned out she had died in childbirth because she gave birth to triplets. Ooh. And she died. And her and all of her babies were together. They managed to find enough DNA evidence to postulate that the man that's buried on top of her may have been her husband and the father of the children. And so some evidence of he knew where his wife was and wanted to join her in death. And so they buried him on top <laughs> so he could stay with her. More evidence of people who died at home, they really didn't care about going to hell. It was more of you want to be all buried together in the same ground area. So you all go. Yeah, you, ha you all have to have the same portal down to hell. So you all make sure you're together because that's the key point. You, you, you didn't have enough time together in life. You want to be together in the afterlife. People would be buried, depending on their status, with their treasured items and also things they would need to continue on in the afterlife. Food, drink, clothing, weapons and tools. No sign of them breaking anything. Apparently you could just take everything with you. It didn't have to be sacrificially killed, like the Irish. Um, sometimes slaves, um, your dogs, your horses, and sometimes you'd be buried in a boat or a wagon or burned and such. Um, in rural areas, you would be buried on your estate in... If you were in a city, they often had designated areas, either an actual cemetery or just an area outside of town walls where you collected all of the dead. So that's kind of nice. I don't want to be buried next to my neighbor. <laughs> it's like, he was a jerk in life. He's going to be a jerk. He's going to still complain about <laughs> landlines. Ugh. No, it's like, he's going to continue to be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, not much evidence that i could find of like who did what but it seemed to be very communal of like just kind of come together to mourn the dead some pro it was probably just dependent on like how you wanted to remember the dead but yeah that's basically how the the norse got rid of theirs wow yeah and uh yeah that's how the nordics broke it up and then i did manage to find if we wanted to continue talking on about burials I did find some evidence of how us modern-day pagans can deal with burials today. Because unlike the Egyptians, we don't have to worry about mummification <laughs> and all the legal hang-ups that come with it. Right. So thank you both of you for coming. Um, uh, my last question is, do either of you have any plans for Samhain? Or your respected rituals of that nature or time frame? So Parentalia is in February. I don't gotta worry about the dead for like six months. Like This um, is not the dead time. Yeah. Yeah. No, this um if I can just pull up my calendar real quick. Um Well the Mundus pit, as I mentioned, that's Cersei. It's like you open the pit and you like you beg the dead that you were releasing not to be bad. Because Rome. Um this week is actually or not this week. Next week is actually Thesmophoria, which was a Hellenic ritual. 
Um, it was to Persephone and Demeter. Um, it's basically celebrating, um, I think, the return of Persephone, which is that big rant I totally did not go on earlier. Um, <laughs> we won't go on it now, but that's okay. Essentially, the one cool thing is about it um, is that earlier in the year during Scyrophoria, you would bury pigs alive because... In the mythos, when Persephone was taken, like there happened to be a farmer nearby. When the world opened up, some pigs fell inside, and he's like, "Oh no, my pigs!" <laughs> and there he says, "Before you, you dig those pigs back up and you sacrifice the dead pigs," which is really cool. I usually use paper mache. I didn't do scare this year, so I can't. But that that is my my one festival this year. Um, there's a bunch of like little ones, like Fontalia, which was like. The God of Springs, it's where we get fountains and fonts and, like, throw a coin into a fountain. So little things like that are popper throughout um, the Roman calendar. The thing was with the later half of the calendar, we don't have as many sources as we do the first half of the calendar. So it's a lot of, like, we know this festival is important because it's chiseled on these calendars. But we have no idea what the hell it was. <laughs> so. We don't know what they did. Yeah, so. But we know they did something. So Thesmophoria is kind of my one big October-y thing. Nice. That's fun, though. Well, for Sewin, the Grove is doing their big public ritual. We will be at North Fountain Park this year, and we're holding it on Sunday, November the 3rd. The day after Pagan Pride. Yes. And if anybody is in the region, you can find more details about it on our Facebook page. We have a posting to the event. It's Grove of the Rising Phoenix. Yep. Nice. Jera, what are you doing for Samhain or Halloween? Uh, so pretty much, Pagan Pride is going to be uh, going to be my Samhain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are uh, Phoenix reclaiming or Arizona reclaiming. We are doing a uh, a Samhain ritual that night. So if we get out early enough, I might join in, but don't know if I'll if I'll be able to make it. Uh, but Halloween, like I said, I'm I'm actually playing at the Marquee. Uh, so that's going to be, that's going to be fun. Kind of doing a, uh, musical offering to the, uh, to the dead this year. Awesome. Awesome sauce. Well, thank you guys for listening. Please don't forget that you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Mm-hmm. And thank you to our Patreon supporters. Mm-hmm. And from all of us here, Merry Meet. Merry Part. And, and Merry Meet, meet Again. again.